Good morning. If you will uh, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, as Tommy mentioned, Ephesians chapter 5, we'll look at the first two verses in Ephesians. Want to give us a little bit of direction of where we're going, and then we'll pray again for the preaching of God's Word this morning. Our aim this morning is this, that we would imitate God. That's a lofty goal, that we would imitate God and walk in love because God loves us with the sacrificial love of Jesus. I'll say it again. Our aim this morning is this, that we imitate God and walk in love because God loves us with the sacrificial love of Jesus. Let's pray and we'll look at God's word together. Father, we pray this morning your word that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your law. And Father, we pray this morning that your gospel would come not only in word but also in power with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Grace Church, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant offering, or excuse me, aroma. I'll be honest, I'm a person of routine. I love patterns. I love things being the same way and now that my older brother's in the congregation, I have somebody that can testify uh, to what I'm saying. I get it honest. My grandmother drove a 1969 Blue Impala, and she parked in the exact same parking place every single Sunday when she went to church. When she invited our family over for Sunday lunches, she served the same meal every single time with the same dessert every single time. She had her hair done every Thursday at the same location at the same time. She went grocery shopping on Friday at Kroger the same time, the same grocery store. My dad inherited that. He got up early every morning, fixed himself the same breakfast every single morning that I knew my dad. Ate his breakfast, left the house at the same time, returned home at the same time every day from his job. And I don't know whether to say by God's grace or unfortunately, I inherited this desire for routine. My pattern in sermon prep, it is by God's grace that I don't preach every Sunday. Uh, I get several weeks in advance to preach at a time, so I get to start preparing weeks ahead. 
You may have heard me herald before my love for a little computer program called Bible Ark. Uh, I've mentioned it to some of y'all, but the first thing I do is I go in Bible Ark and I just begin to break down the, the verse, and then from there, uh, work out an outline, and then begin to kind of build out the sermon. Well, part of my routine is when the whole thing is done, I get up early on Sunday mornings and I just walk back through, make a few minor adjustments to that sermon, and uh, perhaps tweak or add an application uh, before I stand before you on Sundays to preach. Well, this morning, my routine got interrupted. And it got interrupted in a very, very good way. Almost methodically, I think I can build sermons. But God reminded me this morning the necessity for the Holy Spirit to enlighten His Word, to make clear to not only this man, but to us what it is that he would have us here this morning. It's already been prayed. It is my sincere desire that we see the love of God very clearly in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. The outline went from simple to complex for me this morning. You know, I'm an introduction, three points, application. That's me. That's my routine. That's what I like. And if I can fit a sermon in that little frame, I'll do it. My three little linear points don't exist today. This morning, I want to see the text. I want us to see the text from relational angles. You're not going to get my three points. But there's three relationships in the text that I want us to to see very clearly. Uh, Josh, it's on the, the list. If you'll put a little diagram up. Uh, Very simple diagram, nothing about it that you probably have never seen before, right? We've all seen something like this. But three relationships, God's relationship to his children, Christ's relationship to God's children, and God's relationship to Christ. I want us to dig into the text and see these relationships today. So here's this picture. You can just leave that up there, Josh, and we'll just let it sit as we preach today. In these two verses, we're given insight into how each of these parties relate to the other. So look with me again in the text, and we'll begin with God's relationship to His children. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let me just say to you, there is way more there in that verse than I have time to preach this morning. It is loaded. It is loaded. For now, let's set aside the command that Paul relays to the saints in Ephesus to be imitators of God, and let's focus on God's description of us. The first thing he wants to see in God's relationship to his children is that we are beloved children. The way that God relates to us in this verse is as beloved children. Let's consider that reality that we are His children. Don't skip past that. That God calls us His children. 
that's no small thing. It didn't just happen by accident. This was intentional. It took God's ordained plan. We've been adopted into the family of God. We neither earned this nor deserved it. Yet, if we remember last week's sermon, it has been bestowed upon us. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. This is who we are. We are children of God. God declares that we are His children. As if being adopted and declared a child of God is not enough, there is an unimaginable adjective that precedes this reality. We are beloved children. God is not forced to love us. He chooses to love us. Let that settle on your heart and mind for a minute. He's not obligated to love us. He freely, He chooses to love us. He wants to love us. He delights in loving us. We are His beloved children. He doesn't begrudgingly love us. We are loved. God loves us. In spite of us, God loves us with an immeasurable, infinite, everlasting love. We've talked about this in the few weeks preceding this morning's sermon. This love is great. It is unfailing, and it is 100% for us. The way that God relates to us is as beloved children. That's the way He views us. Not anything less than that, but all of that. So how do we relate to God? If He relates to us, if He sees us as His beloved children, how do we relate to God? Well, in the text, Paul tells us to be imitators of God. Most translations use the same wording here. The King James says, be followers of God. And if you're a new living translation person, it says imitate God. It doesn't say be imitators, but they all get the point right. The command is copy God's love in your life. Copy God's love in your life. But it's much deeper than that simple statement. And we want to dig into that a little bit. Let's make plain on the front end that you simply cannot imitate something that you have not observed or experienced. It would be impossible to imitate something that you had never seen before. You just can't do it. That's an impossible task. If you were able to attend our church retreat, you would have had the opportunity to see Landon Twisdale accurately imitate Pastor Jordan. How is he able to do that? Well, it takes a little bit of skill, but it also took some observation. I'm sure he had to, at some point, practice it a little bit. Mika probably got uh, more of that than she wanted. 
but he was able to accurately imitate Jordan because he had seen him. He had observed the way that he spoke and the mannerisms that he used and his laugh. The primary way that we observe God is to read and meditate on his word. If you want an application, if you want how do we imitate, well, it begins with go be with God. Dig into his word and don't just read casually, but see what it says. Look beyond the words and see the character of God, who he is. What is it that he does? And one of the things that we cannot escape that we've seen over the last several weeks is God is love and he does love. And we are recipients of that love. So that when he tells us to imitate, surely love is a part of that picture. So many people who reject God do so because they simply have not read or meditated on the God of the Bible. They don't know God. They don't know him as a loving father. Therefore, they have no ability to imitate him. We can't imitate what we don't observe. Yet, in the text, Paul calls us to imitate God, to be imitators of God as beloved children. One of the ways that we learn to imitate God is first by receiving his love for us to recognize, to receive that we are loved children. But there's more to this text than beholding God and imitating Him. In order to accomplish the imitating of God, we must receive the love that God has for us. We must embrace the reality that God loves us as His own child. Accept that. Believe it. Don't doubt God's love. Receive God's love so that you might imitate him. Then and only then can we respond and begin to imitate his loving ways. Beloved children, imitate God. This is how God relates to us. The second thing I want us to see in the text this morning is Christ's relationship to God's children, not just the Father's love for us that we're called to imitate, but I want you to see Christ's relationship to God's children. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Again, let's temporarily set aside the command that we find here in verse 2 to walk in love And let's zero in on the relationship that Christ has toward God's children. Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. First, be sure that you see that Paul is showing us the depth of Christ's love for you in his cross death. Notice that the cost of his love was himself. In order for Christ to love us, I'll get a little bit ahead of myself here by saying, in order for Christ to love us in a way that honors the Father, he had to be willing to give up his life. It had to cost Jesus 
his life. It was not just money or time or energy or inconvenience or even suffering, though all those things certainly communicate love. But Christ was more than that. It was his life. It was the full extent of sacrifice. Christ gave himself for us. And rather than suffer the full weight of God's wrath as we deserve, Christ became the propitiation for our sins. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But Christ didn't just die to pay the price for our sins. He died to save you as a person for all eternity. Christ's life being spent on your behalf has a reward that you benefit from. I want you to see that this love is a self-giving love for you. His life for your life. Paul is talking about the beloved children of God. This is who Jesus died for. This is who he gave up his life for. And the way that Jesus relates to the beloved children of God is that he gave up his own life to absorb the wrath of God in order that we might be saved. I want to give a little side piece of application here. The same language used in Ephesians 2 Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, that language is used again in this chapter, verse 25, in a call to husbands to this same kind of sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives, listen to this, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we have, as husbands, this call to love our wives as Christ loved the church. The same way that Christ loves us. That's a high calling. Jesus loves us with a sacrificial love. We know that the depth of someone's love for us is true by how little we deserve it. If we have treated somebody well in life, and have done all that they would expect of us, then when they love us in return, it will not prove as much love as it would if they loved us and we had offended them, or done offensive things, or shunned them, or disdained them. The more undeserving we are, the more amazing the deep love of Christ is to us so that when we see God for who he is we talked about this in our rooted class this morning then we more accurately see ourselves for who we are and the gap between God and man is not small but great and when we have this high view of God and this low view of self then we see our sin for what it is this massive separation between us and God And when we see the massive separation that our sin has caused, then the salvation that is extended to us in Christ is not just this little salvation that's not a big deal to us, but it's this massive expanse that's being closed by the love of Christ. 
We have a right view of the salvation that is extended to us in Christ, one that we don't deserve. We've done everything not to earn it, and yet it's still extended to us. It's still bestowed upon us in Christ. But we also know the depth of someone's love for us by the greatness of the benefits that we receive in being loved. This salvation that is afforded to us is a great salvation. And finally, we know the depth of someone's love for us by how freely in which they love us. I've already said earlier in the sermon, God's not obligated to love us, but He freely chooses to love us. When I feel most loved as a husband, it's not when Angie's doing something out of obligation, but it's when, he, it's when she, she freely chooses to love me. I feel loved. It's not out of obligation. Jesus loves us with a sacrificial life giving love. So how do we relate to Christ? Well, Paul's command in the text is to, therefore, walk in love. In response to Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross for us, we are called to walk in love. We, again, receive the love of Jesus through faith in His accomplished work, and the evidence of having received this sacrificial love of Jesus is that we walk or live our lives in love. We make our way through this life like Christ. We grow in sanctification. We make progress. We use every opportunity to show the love of Christ to those around us, to regulate our lives according to the life of Christ, to conduct ourselves in a way, to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, to give proof that we have trusted in Jesus for our salvation. James chapter 2 deals with this dynamic. So too, faith by itself, not just faith in Christ, if it does not result in action, love demonstrated. It says, if it does not result in action, is dead. But somebody will say, you have faith and I have deeds. But James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. The evidence that we have received the love of Christ in our life is we reflect the love of Christ to others. Those who are believing upon the death and resurrection of Jesus walk in a way that reflects their faith in God by demonstrating His love. I want to show you a third relationship that I think is the most significant in the text because it gives a lot of insight into what imitating God really looks like. I've just kind of touched those and what it really looks like to walk in love. I didn't really dig in deep on those two points because I wanted to mention to you this third relationship so that we could see clearly what it is exactly we've been called to when we've been called to imitate and walk in love. Ephesians 5, 2 
The final portion of the verse says this about Christ's sacrificial love, an offering and a sacrifice to God. That's what Christ was, is an offering and sacrifice to God. Yes, Jesus sacrificially died for us to save us, but the primary motivation for Jesus was everything that Jesus did, he did to God. He did it for the Father, in honor of the Father. This offering of himself was an act of Jesus honoring his Father. Jesus so loved the Father that he was willing to die the humble death on the cross. Jesus loves, listen to this, the Father's love for us. So Jesus sees how much the Father loves us, and it informs Jesus' love for us. He so loved the Father's love for us that he was willing to be a sacrifice to God to carry out God's great love for us. Jesus was a willing sacrifice because he knew God would love if he was a willing sacrifice. But I also want you to see what the Father thinks about the Son. We know that the Son honors the Father. He loves the Father, and He loves the Father's love for us. But I want you to notice that God the Father was pleased with Jesus' act of self-sacrificing love. It pleased the Father for Jesus to die on the cross so that we might be saved. It says, as a fragrant aroma. I love the way John Piper spoke about this verse. He says, when God bowed down over the love that his son poured out for us upon the cross, it was a fragrant aroma to him. So that when Christ is being crucified, that brutal death on the cross, gory, horrific, because of the wickedness of men, all the evil that was heaped on Jesus' shoulders, And in that moment, as Christ is being crucified, the Father is breathing in the sweet smell of the sacrifice of His Son. A fragrant aroma is what Scripture tells us. Can you imagine that that was sweet in the nostrils of His Father? God loves Christ's sacrificial love for us. The love of God toward us made Jesus happy to be the sacrifice on our behalf, and the sacrificial love of Jesus toward us was well-pleasing to the Father. Adopting us as children makes Jesus happy, and it pleases God. That's unbelievable. Well, I want you to see one more relationship that's not on the board there, that certainly is found in the text. Really, it's an additional piece of application for us this morning. It's where, we're, where we will conclude. The text actually begins, if we look back in verse 1, the first word of the first verse is therefore. I didn't even touch that 
at the beginning of the sermon. We know the old adage, what's the therefore, therefore, right? We look back. If we look back just one verse, I'm still not sure why there's a break in Ephesians 4, 32 and Ephesians 5, 1. It's, it's baffling to me. And I'm not second guessing the, the great minds that put the word together for us. But it certainly is tied to the previous verse in chapter 4. There's no doubt about that. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Imitating God and walking in love looks like this. Ephesians 4.32, being kind to one another. That last relationship, really the application for us is God's children relating to one another. God's children's relationship to one another. That we ought to be kind to one another. That we ought to be tender-hearted and forgiving each other. Listen to me. The truth of God's Word is vital. There's no room for compromise when it comes to the clarity and the purity of the gospel. We ought not water down the gospel at all. We ought to stand firmly on truth. But truth is not a weapon. Truth has to be accompanied with what we find here in Ephesians 4.32 and Ephesians 5.1 and 2 is this kindness to one another, this being tenderhearted, this ability to forgive the way that God has forgiven us. The truth is we are sinners by nature. The truth is we don't deserve God's love. The truth is we are rebels. The truth is, according to Romans 1, God haters. That's the truth. Is that what we want to well on each other with? Or do we want to accompany that truth with other realities that in spite of all that, Christ condescended, he lived a life without sin and became that sacrificial death, that fragrant aroma to the Father so that when his blood was spilt, our sins were forgiven. And as our sins are forgiven, we're also invited into the family of God. We're adopted. We become beloved children. And we receive from God this unimaginable love, this kindness, this loving kindness, this covenant love, this tender-hearted embrace from the Lord, this forgiveness that we cannot fathom if it weren't so clearly laid out for us in God's Word. So when he says, be imitators of God, he's saying, love the way I love you. Look at Christ, how he died on the cross on your behalf. Look at the way that I love the way the Father loves you. Look at the way that I love you the way the Son sacrificially loves you. And you love the same way. You live your life, you walk in that kind of love, that kind of forgiving, tender-hearted kind love. That's the call that God has placed upon our lives. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. We can see the love of God perfected in us when we embrace his love for us and then we extend that love to others. Grace Church, let's pray. Father, we ask for your help this morning. Surely, these two little verses, loaded with truth, have been read before. This is not our first visit with Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And yet, we can so complacently lay our eyes on such deep truths and then live life in such a way as if those two verses don't exist. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to believe that we are beloved children. Lord, help us to allow that to sink deep into our hearts and minds. Father, grant us faith to embrace the reality of your love for us. And then, Lord, help us. Help us to apply the truth that we believe. That we would love as Christ loved. That we would be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Lord, let that be the aroma of the saints of Grace Church. Father, we plead with you to be gracious to us and to massage these two verses into our hearts. Father, I I pray that our response this morning would be faith and obedience to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.